Welcome to Context Matters. I am Cindy Parker. I am a writer, speaker, and educator who loves to gather around the table with interesting people who have different perspectives from me and talk about God, Bible theology, and sometimes other tangentially related subjects. And I include you in that comment because I enjoy hearing what you think about these topics as well. Of course, all of this is possible because of my team on Patreon. Team members like Mindy and Bon Koo make this podcast sustainable and commercial-free. Those team members are also getting the first glimpses at some of the new writing projects I have. So thanks to all of them and also you for sharing this podcast with others. You have all gotten us to Season 3. This week, we continue the conversation with Dr. Linford Stutzman, who is the Professor Emeritus at Eastern Mennonite University. We are in the middle of talking about Paul's missionary journeys, but not from the land. We're talking about it with view of the water instead. Last week, he told us... I had been connected to Paul all my life because the the stories of Paul in Scripture, I found some of the more fascinating ones, the book of Acts, and the maps with those trails, you know, in the water were part of my early memories and fascination with scripture is the maps, the map part and these journeys and stuff. And so when, when I learned to sail, I started feeling a little bit connected to the subculture of, of the sailing community. So I decided to pull out my own set of maps to take a look at Paul's journeys. I was struck by how with each journey, he adds more and more time on the sea. On his first journey, he has just a little bit of time on the sea, but he is mainly land-oriented. In the second and third journey, he is all over the shoreline of the Aegean Sea. I thought I would ask Dr. Stutzman if there was something about the communities on the water that potentially drew Paul's attention away from the land. There's there's speculation on this. Why did Paul choose the routes he did and everything? And, and there's all kinds of, is it a strategy or is he just kind of going where there's opportunity? I think it's a little bit of both. The other thing is that the Acts writer, I am convinced, is a sea person himself. Therefore, he's much more interested in, in the sea parts than the land parts. Maybe he's not even with Paul in the land. So, so you, get, you get Paul walking twice across the whole length of Turkey. That's like months of, of, of travel, at least, even if he doesn't stop and visit churches. It gets like one sentence or two in the story. The sea journeys get a lot more coverage, detailed coverage. <laughs> you, you don't get any details hardly in Paul's lander. He went through all these towns and stuff. What routes he did? Nobody even knows. It's not even important to, to the... So, so there's part of it is the story itself just doesn't include it. The, the maps show the routes, but you don't pay much as much attention to it. But then... And you also notice that he, he, he goes around the Aegean, you go both ways easily. But when he goes back to the, to the land, when he goes east, he's, he's always on boat because your prevailing wind is northeast, like 80, 70 percent of the time, let's say, part of the time it isn't, but the prevailing winds. And so it's much faster and easier for him to sail east than west. He does sail west. Some, including on the first missionary journey and the journey to Rome, he sails west. And then a, a couple other times in the Aegean, he sails, sails west as well. That's the, that's the travel logistical part. 
or the biographical part. But the other part, I think, is the mission. And this is probably the biggest one. He spends the most time in Corinth and Ephesus. These are the two most notorious places in the whole system. And it is a system. Corinth stands out in history as the most debauched place. And he spends 18 months there. And so that's not an accident. He's not just passing through. There is a intentionality to the places he goes, in gen, in especially in the Aegean, yeah, and uh, spends a lot of time there. And, and so I, I think that in general he finds the ports more. They're they're not just more. They're open for a reason. They're they're more open because people are moving through them all the time. And if people are moving through them all the time. And it's all kinds of people. It's not just elites or slaves. It's everything. everybody from the top to the bottom are forced to interact with each other. They cannot stay apart because they have common interest to make money off of or for each other. And a ship is a microcosm of the port in a way. They, you have wealthy and poor. You have Jew and Greek slave and free, male and female on the ship. Where did Paul get the idea that the ecclesia is kind of like a ship, maybe? Because you're all in this together, it brings you together, and you all have a common interest. You want to go to the same place. And so theologically, the ship is an ideal place to think about the church <laughs> in the Roman Empire. The ports are, are extensions or, or different forms of the same thing. So Paul in on ship and in port is in, he's on the internet all the time. It is a constantly moving mosaic of people that are connecting with each other and their ideas generate genuine interest, not just defense, but possibilities. And so he's in the heart of Hellenistic culture. I remember it was after... You wrote the book, Sailing Acts, and mm -hmm. we were in Israel together, and I was trying to plumb your mind for gems of information, and we must have been up in the Galilee talking about the Sea of Galilee and fishermen, and yeah, yeah, I always I tell people that Matthew, the tax collector, was most likely up on the international road, and yeah, yeah. you made this really interesting comment about tax collectors and fishermen and how sea-oriented people yeah. are very suspicious, protective of their catch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the tax collectors don't like the sea people. And you've experienced this in a couple of different ways in the mm -hmm. process of sailing. I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your insight, how you see some of the relationship between maybe the animosity even between sea-oriented people and land-oriented people. <laughs> Sailors are kind of famous or infamous. You have to play by the rules, but there's ways to bend the rules that are so extreme you can't play by them very well. Tax collecting is, is one of those. I mean, in the first century, not now. I We, we pay our dues and do everything. But there are and, – and so <laughs> – and this is the way, from what I understand, is exactly the way it worked in the Roman Empire – that the sailors are trying to survive by sharing tips how to avoid trouble with each other. 
okay, you don't want to go here because that guy is nasty and you go to the other port. We get those tips all the time from other, oh, if you go there, they're going to get you for this or that. So go. And so you, you, there's this network of how to avoid trouble legally. It's just up to the, uh, to the local officials, what they enforce and don't. So you find the ones that are the most lenient and it's legal. So in my mind, I'm thinking when Paul talks favorably of pagans and in my favorite passage is one of my favorite books of insight is second Corinthians, which everybody thinks is just, he's going off on all over the map. You know, he's angry and he's boasting and he's crude and everything. I think, okay, he has, he is now a sailor. He's speaking their language. He's sharing the gospel like a sailor would. (laughs) And, and he even says he escapes from the king of Damascus. Well, if that isn't breaking the law, what is? He's a sailor, and he's using it to boast about, we always say, oh, his allegiance to Jesus. Yeah, but it's also to boast about his solidarity with them, that he too is, is pushed down by the authorities, whether they're Jewish or, or, or Roman. He, he has to watch out because they're going to make life tough for them, just like it does. Anyway, that's that's where I think non-sailing scholarship sometimes minimizes that or uses it too theological. It's it's theological art, but it's relational. It's it's cross-cultural. It's it's really quite amazing. And then he ends up going back to Jerusalem, trying to bridge that gap. And he has pagans with him, evidently. And so my, my, my big, this is off the subject. You didn't ask this question. But, you know, when, when the, the book of Acts basically ends before the arrest or with the arrest in Jerusalem, is he guilty of something or isn't he? Did he actually take a pagan into the temple area or didn't he? That question is never answered. And I kind of wonder, I mean, and why wouldn't have Paul said, I didn't take a a pagan there. What's your big, he didn't say that. He didn't deny it or confirm it. And my hunch is the the, the Luke himself is probably writing this as a kind of a cliffhanger, partly because he himself might have been along. I don't know, but but it's unresolved and, and he gets into trouble for it. And you know how the story unfolds, but uh, where was I going with this? Uh, did he actually break Jewish law at that point, but he didn't break the theology of Judaism? <laughs> in his theology, interpreted by Jesus, it is a house of prayer for all nations. And in Christ, the pagan is just as much entitled to to worship in Jerusalem as anybody. Anyway, that's the kind of thing that you you kind of that become it sort of jumps out again when you when you've been away from Jerusalem in the Greek world and then go back to Jerusalem and you can kind of whoa every time I go to Jerusalem I now think about Jerusalem in new ways as well I both appreciate it what is try what 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 the challenges are to maintain faith and also recognize that it has it has real hazards for people like Jesus and Paul. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's where the experiential education is so significant because Mm -hmm. it 
always makes a difference when it gets in your bones, when you have your sea legs, when you've yeah. tasted and smelled and had conversations. And in a real tangible way, because of your experiences, you've been able to go from the Roman world back to the yep. Jewish Jerusalem land-oriented world back and forth and see each world from each other's eyes. And yep. that's a really fascinating experience to then be able to bring to the biblical text. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, what I like to think about sometimes is that when we read from little up, when we read these stories of, you know, David and Goliath and all this— we use our imagination to fill in the gaps and the imagination might be tweaked a little bit by what your Sunday school teacher or professor says might be tweaked by photos and, and interpretations. But when you, when you actually go up to Mount Zion or sail to Rome, you are experiencing some of the same conditions. You it's, it's a, it's a physical connection to the story. It's a sensual one. You smell, you taste, you hear, you, you feel the sun beating down. You recognize what amazing stamina these people had, you know, whether they're on a religious pilgrimage or going with the gospel somewhere. They're, they're, they're just commitment. And so you're, you still have to use imagination, but it becomes realistic imagination, not just fantasy. It's, it's based on an experience that is similar. So I like to, when I, when you walk from Nazareth to Capernaum I, or up Mount Sinai, I say, I've done these hikes <laughs> dozens of times, probably some of them, and it never fails to impress again on the stamina and commitment and depth of, of relationship to God and to other people that these experiences help us with. If you want to discover it for yourself, Linford and Janet host people on sailing trips in the Mediterranean Sea. I will put a link to one of their brochures in the show notes of this episode. As we make these ancient to modern times type connections, I asked if there are ancient rules of the sea that still exist today. It's incredibly similar because the basic rule of all sea rules, modern and ancient, are avoid disaster. That's the bottom line. So <laughs> right. anything it takes, you can even break the rules in order to avoid disaster. Now that, that has a theological application. Interesting. You you do whatever it takes. Now you know what people are supposed to do, but if the other person, for instance, don't give way, what do you do? Ram into the side of them if you have the right of way? No, even in ancient world, they had, from what I understand, some basic rules, but the, it's still the same. You just avoid disaster. You don't run into another boat. You don't run into the rocks, whatever it takes. And so you, you may or may not fulfill the letter of the law, but you will always fulfill the spirit of the law, <laughs> which is why the rules are there in the first place. That's just something I hadn't thought about as much as, as your question. There are, there are certain things that don't change on the sea or in life. <laughs> and, and that is rules are made to avoid disaster. And when it, disaster can be avoided and the rule don't apply or somehow is irrelevant, you still avoid disaster. You don't, 
you know. <laughs> anyway, right. that, so that was that was one of the things that uh, that that I learned from this lesson or or thought about interesting in, in new way. Yeah, it because I I really liked how you said rules in terms of how the prevailing wind goes helps That's us right. make sense of Paul being on a boat in right. the second half of his journey, which I hadn't considered before, but makes total sense and. Mm -hmm. Which then makes me think of Caesarea Maritime and the way the port was shaped. And I would just imagine if you're on a boat trying to gain safe harbor, the way the harbor is shaped, you'd pay a whole lot more attention to if it's a good harbor or not. <laughs> if you're on the I boat and you're experiencing like you, you're going into all these different harbors, which harbors are easier to get into, which ones are safer to get oh, into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And that that still applies today, and and every everybody knows which ones you and, and the word spread. This is good in in this kind of wind. Caesarea Maritima was a good harbor. It was well constructed, well built. Um, is is the 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 harbors on the Israeli coastline are tough <laughs> because they don't have very good natural protection, and the wind especially is is a little less. Um, it's harder to protect against when it's in certain directions. And uh, once you get up in Phoenicia, then it's a different story. You got better, better possibilities, uh, which, which shapes their cultures. Look at the Phoenicians. They're, they're probably Semitic people too, but their ability to learn to sail and exploit the sea makes it a completely different kind of uh of culture than the Israelite culture that needs to protect itself up in the hills. You have not only written a book to try to communicate your own experience in looking at Paul, looking at Acts from the sea and all of the insights that you have, but you take people along on, on trips. So you're recreating that experience for other people. What is it that you hope mm. those people walk away with after they participate in one of your trips? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually working on my syllabus for May course at JUC, which I've done, but I'm, I have to keep updating it for every season because there's new things. In that one, I like to look at the, it's kind of like JUC, they're always talking about trade routes and stuff. Well, what's yeah. trade routes have to do with the text? <laughs> Everything. And so, <laughs> That's true. so, you know, your the geography, the political boundaries, the trade routes. I'm trying I'm trying to do the same thing and working actually quite extensively now on two things. One is and have been for years, is the, the Mediterranean Sea as a system that holds the empire together and builds it up and enables so much to happen in scripture and elsewhere, but it's a system and how it works and and how people work within it how how people connect and exploit that system for their own purposes so that's one thing that i love that it's all the invisible information it's the invisible information completely transforms everything it does because it's not just missionary routes on this map that if you would take the map as it actually looks, you wouldn't even see the missionary routes because the, the other things that are going on dominate and the size of the ship and the size of the crew, all of this is fascinating stuff. And you can compare it with, uh, archaeology is a little hard for, for underwater stuff, but, but you can, there's enough information there to verify 
the basic information in the book of Acts, for instance. And then there's extra, extra biblical textual stuff as well. The other thing that I'm really fascinating is, is, is the people that inhabit these places, the, the, the culture of these people that are shaped by being part of this system, that are participants in the system, and how that interacts in the Acts story, especially, and in Paul's letters as well, with with the text, how the text is illuminated a little bit or a lot by understanding not just the archaeology of the seaports, which is really important, but the archaeology of the seaports that indicates how the people looked at the rest of the world. You know, who was coming through? What kind of buildings are servicing what kind of people? And some of that is just Fascinating. For instance, if Paul is traveling on a local coastal carrier, which he does a bunch of times, which is relatively small and probably stops every night in an anchorage or in in town, if it stops in town and they have to take on or off goods, it takes a while. So they they have some free time. They can go ashore and they can sleep ashore if if they can find accommodations, which is way more. Uh, comfortable than the boat, and you want to get away anyway. But you can't get away very far because as soon as the work is done and the weather is bad, you just stay sitting there and you could sit there for days. Or then one day the weather will change just, just like that, which it does in their Aegean. And within minutes, they're yelling and people have to come back on the boat if they want to continue on. And you know they do because they probably paid up front and they can't be very far away because because they can't hear and you run back in time. So Paul has to spend his time if he if he's on shore and there's good evidence that he probably is occasionally. He's like in these tavernas, which are brothels and everything else mixed up. And he's probably sleeping in bed with a pagan. I mean, it's like really bad. It's like really bad in these places. And he has to do it if he's going to, if he's going to now, maybe some places he gets a Jewish person to take him in that lives next to the wharf. Maybe not. We don't know, but you can imagine at least realistically that at least on occasion, he is among the worst of the worst. <laughs> you know, that's such a different way of looking at things. Cause I think we do imagine it, Paul on a missionary journey and like yeah. we see him like walking into town and walking into the synagogue and then walking into the square. And we don't yeah. consider it's again, back to the experiential education part. We don't consider all the in-between bits, mm -hmm. all the different mm -hmm. daily decisions he's having to make and all the ways he's forced to interact and is choosing to interact with mm -hmm. a whole variety of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Food offered to idols. We always think right. of that at a banquet in Corinth. Yeah, but it's on the boat too. If if you eat mm. anything that you haven't brought along, it is offered to idols probably because the boats are small uh, sanctuaries of a god. That's who keeps them safe. But he's in. He's on their turf all the time. You know, so he can't get away. He's 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 got to be unclean, ritually unclean, a good share of the time. You can't mm. avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. Thank you so much for taking time this afternoon to 
sit at this podcast table. It's just so much fun. I love seeing the Bible from new perspectives. So I just, I really enjoy what you bring to the table. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. As always, it is wonderful to sit and exchange ideas with you at this virtual table. Next week, we start a whole new series on how jazz and slavery are connected to biblical law. The music coming your way is outstanding. Be sure to like or subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out. If you would like to be part of the Patreon team who makes this podcast sustainable, you will find a link in the episode notes of the show. The talented Peter Lordson of Sycamore Sound created all of the music you hear. I look forward to our conversation next week and the piano jazz coming your way. Until then, be safe, take care of each other, and stay curious about the world around you. Mm-hmm.